Well, Merry Christmas to you and welcome to Northwest Church. We're so glad you're here today to celebrate along with us the birth of Christ and the whole Christmas season. Was anyone here last week for the Mary show that we put on? Was that a good show or what? It was phenomenal, wasn't it? Absolutely phenomenal. I just wanted to say a huge shout out and thank you so much to so many people who put the, the, the whole event together. There were so many that put the, the props together, built props, and they built the, they did the, the, the dance, the choreography, did the, uh, the, the audio, the editing, the videoing, the everything you can think of under the sun. It takes so many people who are not just, you know, coming and doing it just on the weekend, but people who are doing it after work every night, nearly for an entire year. We've been working on it, the actual show. We've been working on the story for two years. We work on the show for one year, and I'm just so grateful for how many people put in so much work. Why? Because I believe this is probably one of the most important stories you'll ever, ever hear, because it basically tells us that God loved us so much that he decided to become as like us. He gave his son to be like us in order that we might be able to have salvation. And I think it's important that we put the, our best effort as Christians, as a church, into that story to make sure that those who have not really heard it or not really paid attention finally hear what we have all heard ourselves as we are gathered together as the body of Christ. So could you do me a favor and just say thank you so much for those that put so much time into it. One of the things you probably noticed was when we do our shows, we actually always seem to, especially at Christmas time, we always end them with the nativity scene. Have you noticed that? <clears throat> You'll notice that at the end, there's always, you have the, the baby Jesus, and then you have the Mary and Joseph, and you have the shepherds, and then what else do you have? The wise men. What else do you have? The animals, the sheep, the mother-in-law, or maybe you don't. Or they, have different, they have different characters in the scene. And we always end it that way because that's basically bringing us back to the scene that we all remember and we all celebrate when it comes to the birth of Christ. And many of you probably, like us, have a nativity scene at home as well. And I have all these different characters here. I'm going to pull them out here. I have the baby Jesus right there. He's right there, the nine pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. And then we have Mother Mary off to the side, looking very holy. And then we actually have Joseph as well. Where's Joseph? Joseph is right here. He has the lantern lighting the way and leading his family right there. And then who else do we have? Yep, we actually have a shepherd. We have the shepherds right here, and they're off to the side. They were the first ones to actually come and adore the Christ. And then, of course, we have the three wise men, three wise men with gold, frankincense, and what else? Myrrh. That's right. Does anyone know what myrrh is? No, don't worry about it. Neither do I. And then, of course, we have a donkey. We have a representation of all the animals that were there because it was actually in the manger. And we have my cup of water right here. I'll put it in the, hopefully it doesn't spill on your keyboard there, Jared. Um, but we have, the, we have the nativity scene, right? Does anyone have nativity scenes at home? You have them? Oh, look, we've got a lot of nativity scenes. Okay. And we set them up, not because we're doll collectors, but because this is like a, a representation of reminding us of the focus of the story. A story that is told to us in different parts of the Gospels and specifically in Luke when it talks about the wise men and the, and the, and the shepherds. And, we, and when we, we put it together, we always set it up in a particular order. Am I right? Always set it up in a particular way. 
And maybe some of you have your traditions where you do it with your children and you set it up. And the first person we always lay out is the baby Jesus, right there at the center. He's always at the, the center of the, of the show and of the action. And, 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 and then we get the mother and, and, the, and the father as close as possible. And then everybody else is around the sites. But I've discovered as, as I look at our lives sometimes, and if they, we think of this as a representation of our lives, I find that sometimes we actually change the order of how we set up our lives. And I want to give a, a little bit of a suggestion. Just follow me on this. But, but what we sometimes do is we actually take Jesus and we'll put him off to the side where maybe he is only on a Sunday morning or maybe he's only on a Wednesday night when we do group or, or whenever you have your group or maybe it's only when you're going through trouble or maybe when it's only when you're, you're praying but we put the Christ off to the side. It's not that Jesus isn't in our lives. He's just not actually at the center. And maybe we decide to put different characters at the center of our lives. Maybe we'll take the, the shepherd and we'll put him right there at the center. What does the shepherd maybe represent? I think the shepherd represents work, right? Because they were the workers. They were the ones on the, on the, on the hills. They were the ones that were doing the night shift, the graveyard shift. Has anyone ever done the graveyard shift? It's, it's difficult when you do it, when you're working when everybody else is asleep. They were the blue collar workers, and oftentimes when we look at ourselves, most of our time is actually spent doing work. Most of our time of being awake is actually at our job or on the phone or even thinking about work. And when we put our work at the center of our lives, it can consume us in such a way that all we do is think about our job or making money or, making or, or, or living up to a responsibility that we believe has been placed on our shoulders. Sometimes even our families even feel like that they're on the, the, the outer skirts. Our, our kids sometimes feel like, well, dad's still at work. He's still on the phone. Even when he's home, he's still on the phone. He's still thinking and talking. And he's on his laptop, always talking about work. Why? Because work is at the center of our lives. Oh, we're still Christians. We still have Christ somewhere in our lives. But really, the center of our life is our work. Or maybe, maybe you're like, a really good person and you really feel like, no, no, I've got my life focused correctly. I spend all my time on my family. And we put our family at the center. Maybe you've got a child or you've got children that, that take up all your time and your energy and you're putting all your resources into helping your children to become the best versions of themselves, to give them the best opportunities. And that seems like a good thing. Family first is what we would say. And it does sound like a good thing. But oftentimes what we can do is put our family at a point in our lives where our expectations are that they have to succeed or that we have to actually live to a certain level in life that when they don't succeed or that they don't live up to our expectations, then we live with disappointment. I spent years looking after these children and now that they've grown up and gone off and done their own thing, they don't even come back and say hello to me anymore. I've heard that from parents. Or maybe you have so much service and so much love and attention that you give to your spouse or, or even to your parents and you just give and you give and you give, but they don't seem to love or give back to you on the same degree that you do. And so you're disappointed. You're disappointed because they're not what you hoped them to be. Maybe your wife or your husband is not what you hoped them to be. But sometimes what we have done is we've actually put so much expectation on them to be the center of our lives 
on them to give us meaning for our lives, for them to help us to, 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 to have meaning and purpose. And now that they're successful, now it somehow reflects on my work that all the effort and energy that I poured into this marriage or that I poured into these kids, now it's paid off because now they're successful. That's making your family the center of your family, of your, of your life. Imagine if you didn't have a job Imagine like a shepherd's if you didn't have a family or you, move, you lose a family member. Now, what are you living for? Imagine if your, your marriage fell apart or something. Now, what are you living for? They're no longer the center and they've failed you and they've, not, they've stumbled and they've fallen and it's not worked out as exactly how you plan. What is it now that you live for? Maybe, maybe like some of us, we actually put the wise men in the center and we make them the center of our lives. We take the wise men, who I think represent wisdom, of course. They were called the magi, which comes from the word magician. That's where we get our word magician from. It's actually from the, the root word magi, which means that they were experts in the sciences. They were experts in astronomy, which means they, they read the stars in the sky, which is why they followed the, the star of Bethlehem to where the Christ was. They were wise people. They, they pursued education. They were obviously very well-traveled because they had no problem coming from the east and traveling into different countries. They were probably very wealthy. Why do we know that? Because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? They were wealthy. They were well-traveled. They were educated. They were, they, were, they were smart people. And many of us have de decided that that's the thing that we're pursuing in our lives. We're pursuing something greater in our life that can, that can lay up for the future, that we can have enough stored up in the bank, that we will be able to retire in a very kind of uh, comfortable manner. Or maybe you're really into education or maybe you're really into travel and that's all that you live for. That's the thing that's the highlight of your life. Or maybe you're like some other people and it's not really education and travel and, and all that type of thing, but maybe you've got your animal at the center, right? Now, some of you are thinking, no, no one does it. Let me tell you, I've seen your Facebook, <laughs> right? And people are, are dressing up their animals in clothes, right? Or they're, or they're, or they're, or they're, 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 they're always doing photographs of their animals. And, and some people actually love their cat or their dog or their budgie or whatever it is that they've got. They love that thing more than they love humans. Why? It's simply because they don't talk back to them. That's all. That's what I'm convinced, right? Don't argue back, right? And they're like, oh, he just loves me so much. No, he just hung, he's hungry. That's why he's rubbing himself against you, right? So, 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 so sometimes we put animals on. Well, let's, let's expand that. Maybe it's not an animal. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a, a passion. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a pastime that you're really into. And that's the thing that you just draw your peace and your joy and your love from. And don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think that we should mistreat animals. But neither should we be loving animals like they're humans. Because animals are not humans. They're not made in the image of God. Does that mean that we don't uh, enjoy having animals or don't enjoy having sports or, or pastimes in our life? No, we can enjoy all of those things. They just can't be the thing that we live for. It can't be the thing that we center our life all around. And when I looked at, uh, I started reading uh, Colossians and Paul started talking about the Colossians who had misordered their lives. And he started to write to them and say, you need to think about reordering your lives and what you're spending your time on. Now, the animal isn't meant to be the center. We know that Jesus is meant to be the center. And Mary and Joseph are meant to be around there. And that's 
family gets close and you've got the work on the edge. And we know that all these things are important in our lives, but we have to have them in such an order if we want to filter everything through, listen now, peace. And we're gonna look at some scripture here where we're gonna discover that it's not about that we have the lives where we live without problems and challenges. Have you ever wondered why you still have problems and challenges and why you have problems with your in-laws or your family or something? You wonder why God doesn't just drop a truth bomb on them and get them to think the way that you think and suddenly, finally, change their ways so that your life will be more comfortable. I'll tell you why. Because when our problems are filtered through the focus and the presence of peace, they're no longer problems to us. Everything is meant to be filtered through the prince of peace. And when Paul was writing to the Colossians, he was writing to this church that was called the church in Colossae, which is a city there. And it was on a tributary river that came off of this massive river in Turkey. And the, the, the river is literally called the Meander River. It's one of the most meandering rivers. We, we, we know what the word meander means. It means to, to be like my mother when she's going from store to store and all you have to do is follow after going, where are we going now? Why are we going to, you know, you go from store to store. So there's no plan whatsoever. You're just going where, whatever takes you, whatever fancy and whatever glitter things attracts you and you meander from here to there. And Paul, when he was writing to them, he's saying, you've meandered in your faith. It's not that you've gotten rid of your faith. You've just meandered in your faith. And we're going to read it from in Colossians chapter 2, starting at verses 6 on to 8. And it says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of this world rather than on Christ. So here's two things that I see that he's saying. The first one is this. He says, you've been distracted by human tradition. Let me give you a suggestion of what one of our human traditions are. The human tradition of Christmas has a powerful effect on us. Now, I'm not going to try and be the Grinch here this morning, right? So, so forgive me. But do you know that it doesn't say anywhere in the scriptures to celebrate Christmas? Does anyone know that? Do you know it doesn't say celebrate? Jesus didn't even say celebrate my birth. The only thing he said was to celebrate my death, not my birth. That's what he said. So how do we come up with Christmas then? How is it that Christmas even exists? Do you realize that the early church didn't even celebrate Christmas? There's no evidence, evidence of it whatsoever. Even when one of the early bishops started to list all the traditions and all the festivals of the church, Christmas wasn't even included. In fact, Christmas in the West really started somewhat in the, 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 in the, in the, the British Isles. And it actually was when the church got together and they said, listen, we need to come up with something because the pagans, they, they're celebrating the, the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year. And they had this huge tree that they cut down and they burn it called the Yuletide log. And it's really cool. And everybody's going over there. Listen, they have the milkshake that attracts all the boys to the yard, right? We got nothing going on here. 
And so they went, well, let's do a mass about Christ then. We know that, that we think that, that Christ actually was born about September or maybe August. We're not entirely sure, but we think it's around about that time. But let's just move it up to, to, to December and we'll actually do the celebration there. And that's how we came about Christmas. And Christmas is great, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Christmas, but I wonder, and here's my suggestion, I wonder if we become so dependent on Christmas things in order to feel the presence of Christ that we've forgotten how to be close to Christ. You know, when you take your, your twinkle lights and you put your tree up and then we, we get our Christmas presents, you know, to represent the, the wise men bringing their gifts and, and, then, and then we get, our, we get our eggnog, you know, that's a little spiked and like, oh, I just can't have my Christmas unless I got this stuff, right? This stuff's awesome. And then you have your, your, special, your special stuff and whatever it is that you have for Christmas and you have all your traditions. But if you didn't have those traditions, would you still feel the presence of Christ? I remember when I first came to America, and I can honestly say it took me years to feel the Christmas spirit here in America. Why? Because it's so warm and so hot. Where I come from, it's cold, and you're shivering, opening up your, 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 your gifts, and we've got the, the fire going, and, and we've got all our special things. In fact, I go, usually I go down every year to the, the British shop that's downtown, and I start buying up all the British foods, and I'm like, oh, mince pies, and Christmas crackers, and selection boxes. None of this stuff, you don't even know what it is, right? And I'll put it in a corner, and Crystal's not moved by it whatsoever. She doesn't care. That doesn't have an effect on the Christmas spirit for her. Has no influence on her whatsoever. But those things made me feel just a little bit of home. And it took me years to realize that I've actually made Christmas about me. And I wonder how many of us are so dependent on Christmas traditions in order to make us feel the presence of Christ. And when we don't have those things, and I'm, I'm not putting a challenge out here, but imagine if you decided not to do the things that you usually do every year, what's your, what's your response? What's your reaction? What if your children have now grown up decide not to have Christmas with you anymore? Have you decided, well, it just doesn't feel like Christmas anymore? I've heard people say that. I've heard people say, it just doesn't feel like Christmas anymore. I've got news for you. Here's, here's the quick news for you. It's not about you. The celebration of Christmas is the birth of Christ. And I'm not saying we should get away with celebrating Christmas, but I believe we need to get back to the reason why we're doing Christmas. It's about the birth of Christ. It's about celebrating that God became amongst us. He became like one of us, that one day he would die on our behalf so that we might have eternal life. That's the joy to the world. Even in our culture, we start to remove the whole point of Christ. I mean, I was at uh, McDonald's the other day, well, taking my kids there. I don't need that stuff, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I think it said, it said like, uh, ring in, what's it? Ring in the cheer of the season. No, ring in the holiday cheer. That's what it said. And then I had a picture of a latte because nothing says Christmas like a latte, right? Ring in. You know what ring in means? It was, the, it was the bells that used to ring on Christmas morning to summon everybody to come to church to celebrate the mass of Christ. Holiday literally means holy day. Cheer literally refers to when the angels said, good news I bring, joy to the world, the Lord is near. These are all coming 
from the celebration of the fact that Jesus was born. But in our culture now, we've, we've now stripped these things out. We've removed Christ, but we're still using the words to try and summon up a spirit of joy within us. But we can't have that joy if the joy is not complete with the fact that a Christ has come to save us. Our problem, I believe, is we're now putting Jesus off to the side. For some of us, even in our culture, we're now putting Jesus off on a different strata, a different stratum right here, a different plane, a different dimension. We won't have Christ over here. We'll have our, our riches and we'll have our presence and we'll have our work and we'll have our family all together. But Jesus, he belongs actually over in this area, not actually with the nativity scene. We know that's maybe what people in the world have done, but my concern is as Christians is have we actually put Jesus just in the corner to make us feel good about ourselves and then we slip him right in the middle when it comes to Christmas. Here's the second thing I believe that Paul is saying. He's saying you're being distracted by worldly principles. He said, our distractions have depended on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Listen, it feels good to have a job. I get it. It feels good to be a shepherd because it gives you purpose. When I don't actually, when I'm sick or something, does anyone else get the man flu? You know what the man flu is? That's when you have the flu, but it's 10 times worse. It's called the man flu, or maybe we just react that way. But when I'm sick in bed, I only need 12 hours to get cabin fever. Is anyone else with me on that one? I get cabin fever like nothing on earth. I'm like, oh, I've got to get back to work. I've got to do something. I hate lying around. It's really difficult for me. It's just the way I'm built. But having a job is good. It gives you purpose. It feels good to have family around and to celebrate your children. It feels good to get a ton of likes on Facebook and feel affirmed. It feels good to have hobbies and animals and, and pursuits in our lives. It's good to enjoy the fruits of our labor. But let me say this, none of it can give us the fullness we seek in our lives. In Colossians 1, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Only in Christ. But before even Paul gives all this advice of, of how we should reorder our life, he even starts off the whole book of Colossians. It's only a few chapters long. It's easy to read. But in, in chapter one, it says this. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know what that tells me? It's not about you. All things have been created through him and for him. That means your job is through him and for him. Your wealth, your future, your dreams, your visions, your travels, all these things, through him and for him. That means if you're having trouble in your job or you're having trouble with your family or you're having trouble with your vision in life, God is okay with your troubles. He is fine for you to have these because they're all through him and for him. And he continues on. He is before all things. And in, all, in him, all things hold together. You see, all these things that you have in your life, the only reason why they're existing at the level that they can exist is simply because God has given permission for them to exist in your life. He's given permission for them to hold together the way they are. He can remove them anytime he wants. 
He can change it in, in any particular order he wants to. And then it continues on. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have, what does that word say? Supremacy. We don't like using that word supremacy. You know why? Because it's only used in our culture to condemn any type of group of people who think they're greater than us. It gets thrown around as white supremacy or black supremacy or, or rich supremacy. And we start talking about someone who thinks they're greater than us. Listen, there is someone who's greater than us who actually belongs, actually has that, 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 that term, that moniker belongs to him. He is the supreme person in our lives. He must have supremacy in our lives. He must have full power, full control, full worship, full glory. He deserves it. He can't just fit into our lives. For God was pleased, it continues, to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By, what does that say? Making peace. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I think it's interesting that Paul ends his thinking and his thoughts here by the word peace. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the scriptures say. Our lives are meant to be centered around peace. Everything we're meant to do is meant to go back to peace. Our job is meant to be focused on peace. Our desires of riches or wealth or fame, like the wise men, are on the other side focused on peace. The family that is close to the Messiah are meant to be focused on peace. All your hobbies, your desires, your dreams are meant to be focused and filtered on peace. The problem is, is when we start getting stirred up by the things that are not going wrong and not going well in our lives. When we're not making enough money, when we're not making it the way we want to, when we feel like we're inadequate because we haven't succeeded like we thought we would. When our family comes around at Christmas time and we don't seem to get on very well with them. When the desires that I have to do something fun but my children just cry all day and, and you've got babies and all you have to do is spend time with them all the time and I just don't have some peace and quiet to myself. You tell you where the peace is. It's in Christ. You can't look for peace within yourself or within those other elements of your life. You have to look for peace in Christ. Here's the thing that I want to encourage you to do, is I don't want you to wait until Christmas before you decide to have peace, before you decide to be focused on Christ. Christmas should be something that is all year long for us. Listen, I'm giving you permission to leave your Christmas lights up all year long, okay? You get to keep your Christmas decorations up, and some of you are like, oh no, then it won't be as special. It is special as long as you can do what you want. Be as redneck as you want and keep your Christmas lights up all year long. Don't bother me. As long as it keeps you keeping Christ at the center. Not bringing him back out of the box when we're ready to put him as an important part. Can't we be generous all year long? It seems at Christmas time our generosity gets stirred up. It seems at Christmas time our, our grace towards one another gets stirred up. It seems at Christmas time, our cheer gets stirred up, our joy of singing, singing wonderful songs like, last Christmas I gave you my heart, and you gave, the next day you gave away, you know, it was amazing how we get stirred up with these joyful things, but here's what I'm saying is, can't we be those people constantly? 
Can't we be the ones with joy in our hearts because we're constantly focused on peace at the center of our lives? I think the time is now to make a choice to say we're no longer going to do Christmas the way we've ever done it before. It will be a continuation of everything we're already doing in our lives to stir up peace and joy and goodwill towards one another. Are you with me on this one? Awesome. Let's stand this morning as we end. Well, Father, we are so grateful that you did give us your son. We're grateful that we even have the freedom and the joy to be able to celebrate something like this tradition of Christmas. There are so many countries in the world where they're in fear of their lives. It's even our brothers and sisters, some of our brothers and sisters in, in India right now and in the Middle East, they can't afford to be public with their faith during Christmas because it stirs up the enemy of their neighbors. It stirs up the evil one to bring persecution to their front door. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that don't have this freedom and we bless them now in the name of Jesus that the Prince of Peace would stir up in their heart right now. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would fill them with such joy and peace and generosity even as we're asking for the same thing within us. Even as we're asking for the same thing within our family this year, that you would help us to keep Christ at the center of our focus. Peace, 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 we pray in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and have a great Christmas. Dave, please. Thank you, Pastor Peter. Uh, just one closing thought. Remember, as we're celebrating Christmas and try not to be traditionalists, but Christianists, uh, that you have little ones who are watching you and they will be able to pick up on whether you're placing more importance on the tradition or on the focus of the season, which is Jesus. So keep that in your mind. It's a serious